an introduction to stars and some other short episodes with Daniel T. Andreasen on episode 336 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. So I'll just read a quick bio and then we'll hop into the show. Daniel started studying physics and astronomy back in 2008 in Denmark, graduating in 2013. The week after, he moved to Portugal to pursue his PhD in astronomy, which Daniel successfully defended in 2018. Since then, he has been a software developer and a number cruncher, currently working at a hospital with genomic data. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Great to have you this morning. Thank you so much. It's nice to be here with, with you too. Thanks again for putting the show notes together. We really appreciate it. You had an idea. You recalled that we did some short episodes last summer and offered to make us up a series of uh, short episodes with more of an astrophysical bend. Yes, exactly. I I thought it would be nice to have the astrophysical part in, in some of the episodes, but I didn't know that I was going to be the one selling, uh, talking about it. But, uh, but here I am, and I'm looking forward to this. <laughs> How did you get interested in astronomy? Yeah, maybe tell us a little bit about like your first uh, experiences under the stars. Yeah, it, it was interesting. I I was having a, a Danish class uh, here in, in Denmark back in, in fifth grade, and we had to do a, a poster. It didn't really matter the topic, the the task was to make a, a nice poster and, and present it. And we had to choose whatever topic we wanted. Many of my friends chose their favorite football team or another sport. And I went to the library and just picked more or less a random book, which happened to be an astronomy book. And I nearly didn't do any poster because I just had my nose in the book the entire time. And, and since then, I've been fascinated about, about the stars and astronomy in, in general. And... Um, yeah, many, many years later, here I am, and I'm still looking at the, at the nice sky uh, and being amazed by, by all the things we can see. So what was your first telescope and, and what do you have for a telescope now? Yeah, my first telescope was uh, one I got maybe a few years after I got into astronomy. Um, it was one of these uh, Christmas telescopes. I think the scope was probably decent. I, I I don't remember any details about it, but the mount was awful. It was it was so difficult for me to to use it, and I I remember I looked mostly at my neighbor's uh, chimney <laughs> because <laughs> that was a bit easier to see and and during the the daytime. But I I remember one morning I did look through the glass in in my in my room, um, and I saw Jupiter and four small dots, and I. I realized those were the four Galilean moons, and that was just amazing. I know many people they they saw they see Saturn for the first time and they're drawn in, but for me it was actually uh, Jupiter. So, what do you have for a telescope now, and are you able to get much observing in uh, these days with work and everything? Yeah, and, uh, last autumn I I bought a, a new telescope. I bought a, a Skywatcher Explore. Uh, a Newtonian, it's 150 uh, aperture, and right now the the days are very very bright here in in Denmark. But just I think one week ago I got a light filter, so okay. now I can do solar observation. I, I'm <laughs> thrilled about that. Nice. And, and I ho I heard your episode the other day about solar observation, and 
Yeah, I need to start saving some money so I can buy a, a dedicated solar telescope <laughs> because it's so cool to to look and uh, yeah. But right now, I I just use uh, this uh, for observing the sun. It's it's really cool. All the details you can see. Yeah, six inches of aperture would be great on the sunspots and uh, show a lot of other surface details. So that'll be uh, very rewarding, I'm sure. Mm, definitely. So this is going to be our first of a of a short series. So some of this might seem a little bit truncated to listeners. I think we're going to try to keep these between 20 minutes or so. And we're just going to hop right in, Daniel. Uh, again, thanks so much for making up these notes. It's it's always uh, a pleasure to uh, have a listener that that's engaged and, and provides us with uh, some show ideas. So thank you again. Let's just start with this. We're going to talk about a general introduction to stars and you've got a background in astrophysics. So you're going to provide us with some of the details on stuff that we are looking at. So we're really excited to, uh, to hear about that. Maybe we'll just begin, uh, if you can please tell us about the birth of a star. Yeah, I, I would love to. And, and it was really nice putting these notes together. It allowed me to open up some of my old university books again. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, everything starts at a, at a beginning, and I would like to talk a little bit about the, the birth of a star. And we all know that stars are amazing to look at, especially when they're in multiple systems. But where are they actually coming from? We have to imagine that there are these huge uh, molecular gas clouds out in, in, in the galaxy. And we see some of these in, in our telescopes. One of the most famous one is probably the Orion Nebula, M42. And these gases, uh, gases there are primarily hydrogen and, and helium, but it can also be other heavier elements in, in these uh, gases, uh, these clouds of gases, for example, carbon, nitrogen, iron, and, and so on. And these clouds are just hanging around doing nothing. But if there is some external force, it can be maybe there's a nearby supernova uh, another star is passing close by or even through the cloud. Some of this cloud can start to contract because it has been disturbed. It's a little bit how water droplets are, are formed in, in clouds here in, in our atmosphere. And usually when there is something disturbing this cloud, uh, since it's so huge, not just one star, but many stars will be, will be formed here. And... And this is what we will later see as an as a open stellar cluster. For example, the Pleiades or some of the others, beautiful, beautiful ones we know. And later on, they might turn into a global cluster where, where the stars had, had time to settle down and, and get closer together because of the gravity that is acting on them. And in this uh, huge cloud of, of gas, um, they are also, it's also where the, the planets are formed. Um, so it's formed from the same material, but it's, it's slightly different processes. And how the star is actually being born is that when these huge clouds of gas starts to, to clump up, then the, the, the center of, of a little clump where there's going to be a star is getting hotter and hotter, and the gravity is pulling more, more and more material into it and it's just increasingly getting hotter and hotter. Eventually, there are two forces that are fighting against each other. There is the gravity pulling things 
inwards towards the center, but then the the heat from from the center and the eventually the radiation pressure it's called is is pushing things outwards. Um, but in the beginning, this the radiation force is much weaker than the than the gravity, so things are just keep getting denser and denser and hotter and hotter in, in the core. Uh, eventually, if there is enough material, uh, the core will get so hot and so dense that that fusion will start, where you turn four hydrogen atoms, the lightest element, into one helium atom, the, the second lightest element. And during this process where you turn hydrogen into helium, uh, you gain a lot of energy, and this energy is is this radiation pressure I I talked about, and it, it keeps the the newborn uh, star in in a in a balance, so it is not blown apart by the radiation pressure, and it's not collapsing due to the gravity, and um, yeah, as soon as as this fusion starts in the core, the the star is born. Thank you for that, Daniel. You know I. I'm aware of star forming regions, but I, I never really understood those early steps, you know, to how this process really begins. Uh, so that's quite interesting. And I, I really like the analogy of water droplets in a cloud uh, that that helps put it all together for me quite well. Mm. Yeah, actually, one of the, the most, there is some kind of external force, as I talked about, that, that trigger all of this. And one of the, the biggest things that can happen are when two galaxies are colliding. And I will talk about this later, but most of the things that are happening is just that uh, gas clouds from both galaxies are colliding. And when that happens, there are going to be a huge uh, star formation in, in, a, in this giant galaxy. Interesting. So how, do, how does it start burning in the first place during that very first uh, part of its uh, life cycle there? Yeah, so in, in, in the beginning, we have this uh, phase where we say that it's uh, a main sequence star. And our sun is, is currently a main sequence star. This is where, where all the hydrogen in, in the core uh, is, is converted into helium slowly. And um, just to give a perspective of how much hydrogen and helium there are, Around 75% of, of, the, of the matter is, is hydrogen and nearly 25% is, is helium. And a quick calculation says that this is 100%, but there's a little wiggle room there. And, and the, the last part is, is all the exciting things like, like iron and, and carbon and nitrogen and, and so on. Um, but in the, in, the, in the first phase of, of a star's life, it's, it's converting hydrogen into to helium. And as I said, this is what our sun is currently doing. And it's been doing so for four and a half billion years. And it's around halfway through. <laughs> so it's going to be on this phase for, for a very long time. Um, and, and when we are looking for, for other planets around other stars, we're primarily looking for these kind of stars that are on the main sequence, because it's it's not a very violent phase of a star, uh, so eventually we would like to find life, and and these are the places where we might we might see it. But um, yeah, slowly 
we are running out of fuel in, in, the, in the core since we're just converting more and more hydrogen into to helium. Um, and then we move on to another stage of, of the star. So would this be getting towards the, the end of the, the life when, when a lot of the hydrogen is uh, consumed? Well, it's the end of the main sequence, which is, oh. is uh, this thing where in the, in the core, the, the main process uh, powering the star is, is burning hydrogen to helium. And, uh, and then we move on to another phase. And here I have to give uh, uh, a, a, little, a little note because star is still an evolution and, uh, and, and structure is a very complicated thing. And I, I wrote these notes and sent to my old colleagues that read through it and gave me too many notes to, to bring here because everyone have their favorite kind of star and whether it's, it's a little bit heavier than other star and the, the material that, that it, it has, the chemical composition, the life can actually be quite different. Um, so here I'm mainly focusing on a star that might look like the sun and talk about how its life is going to look like. But there are many different ways. If, if a star is heavier, it can burn faster. If a star is, is lighter, it will burn even slower. But eventually we run out of, of hydrogen in, in the core. And at that moment, the, the pressure from the radiation in the core is failing. So the gravity is taking over. We're just slowly contracting the core. So it's getting hotter. And in the core now there is helium. But we still have a shell outside the core uh, with hydrogen that can still burn um, hydrogen into helium. And, and this core, uh, no, this shell around the core is actually making the, the star expand. So the star becomes much bigger, but the, the surface temperature of the star drops. And when the surface temperature drops of the star, it becomes redder. So we have this, uh, what we call red giant branch star. And while we are on this, uh, this part of a star, eventually the, the core will get hot enough, which is still contracting. It will get hot enough to ignite helium fusion. And then we combine three helium atoms to make one carbon atom. And I say atom, all of this are actually just the core of the atom. So it's just three helium cores and that goes together to, to make one carbon core. But that's not uh, so important. And this process of, of burning helium into carbon really depends on, on the mass of the sun. If it's uh, a very low mass star, which might be less than 80% of the mass of the sun, it might just burn hydrogen for nearly ever because it burns so slowly. Some of the, the bigger stars, they can go through this process again and again. So they run out of the, the fuel they have in, in the core. The core starts contracting until it's hot enough and it ignites, ignites the, the next uh, uh, phase where it's burning new elements. And some of the heavier stars that are more than 10 or 11 times the mass of the sun, they can burn all the way up to, to iron. When you combine two atoms and you get iron, 
you still get energy, but you cannot combine two iron atoms and gain energy from it. Um, that's where you need to do something called fission, which is the thing we are we are doing in in reactors here in uh, on, on planet Earth or in atomic bombs, for example. We are using fission, where we are using uh, uranium, but the sun or other stars they're using fusion, where you're combining instead of splitting. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting. There's there's a lot going on there. <laughs> Definitely, and yeah. I always think that stars are, are quite amazing because they can do so many weird things, even though they are quite simple structures. They are just huge ball of gas. But but since they're so huge, there are a lot of things that can that can happen because they're hot enough to start fusion. And yeah, it's just interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what would the what would the next stage then be, Daniel? Yes, eventually they run out of either they run out of uh, of fuel, or they cannot ignite the the, the next part. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the the lower mass stars, which uh, can still be be quite be quite heavy. Um, they will keep burning uh, the the previous thing in in these uh, shells around the core, where we had in the beginning a helium core, and outside there is a hydrogen to helium shell. Later, you might have a helium to carbon shell and a hydrogen to, to helium shell and, and so on. Um, and eventually for the lower mass uh, stars, there will be these, uh, these uh, thermal pulses. So the, the core can no longer be ignited for, for, the, for the next uh, fusion step. So the outer parts are kind of just blown away in, in these thermal pulses. And we like that as amateur astronomers, but because these leave us with the beautiful planetary nebulas. Mm-hmm. Um, a good example is the ring nebula, uh, Messier 57. So these are for the lower mass stars. And, and our sun will eventually end its day in a, in a, as, as a planetary nebula, and in the in the core of a planetary nebula, we have the we have a white dwarf, which is a very compact and and an extremely hot object, but it's no longer burning anything. It's just very very slowly cooling off, which takes billions of billions of years. What percentages are sun through that phase roughly? Do do we have a do we do we know what that number is? Yeah, I, I hope I do not scare any anyone because <laughs> <laughs> we are only halfway through the through the main sequence uh, stage, okay. which the sun is going to spend most of its its time on. Um, I am unsure for how long it's going to to be on some of the later stages, but we are less than halfway through. Uh, so it's going to take some time. Well, lots of time still. <laughs> a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and just to put into perspective, it could be nice to mention that the age of the universe is is nearly 14 billion years. And our sun, our solar system and has been there for nearly 5 billion years. Mm. Just a little perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I was just wondering if I should maybe talk a little bit about how the the a star that is is much heavier than our sun will end 
its 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 days. Yeah, yeah, I think that would be interesting to hear. Yeah, because these are quite the the violent ones. Um, <laughs> so these stars that are are more than ten times, maybe eleven times the mass of the sun, they will keep doing this fusion all the way until we we reach iron in, in the core. And at that point, we cannot gain energy from any more fusion. So the, the core of the star simply just collapse. And there is so much heat. So we have a huge explosion. And this is what we call a supernova. Afterwards, we see a, a supernova, supernova remnant, like the Crab Nebula. Um, and at the core of, of the, or the leftover of this explosion is either a, a neutron star, which is even denser than a white dwarf or a black hole, which is a, a completely terrifying object, but not something that sucks in material that you see in, in cartoons and movies sometimes. Um, but they are fascinating objects for sure. Um, so what would be a, a, like a common star that we know of today that would be in this class uh, that, uh, you know, at some point we'll, we'll go into supernova? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. Uh, I think maybe a star like Rigel will, mm. will eventually end up there. But I'm a little bit unsure about the masses of, of the stars uh, because some of the stars are also just huge because they're later in, in the stage. Mm. Um, but that one is, uh, is worth keeping an, an eye on, but it might take a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, certainly supernovas capture the attention of amateur astronomers. You know, it's an interesting, uh, thing to observe whenever we can. Um, it's, it's unfortunate that we can't predict those events happening, you know, in other galaxies or even within our own, um, because that would be ideal. So we could plan for it. But, um, there was one recently, I'm just trying to think here. Um, it was, was it M33 M or 101? M101, I think. Yeah. There okay. was a supernova. I, I saw a lot of, of posts here and there, uh, with pictures from amateur astronomers also seeing the, the supernova. Right, right. Were you able to observe that yourself? No, I, I unfortunately not. It's 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 too bright during the night. I had to stay up until two before I could observe <laughs> anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What latitude are you at there? Uh, Fifty-five. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, nighttime is uh, non-existent probably right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it doesn't even get probably dark. Yeah. Well, I think we're getting towards the end of this episode, actually, here. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to add, Daniel, regarding uh, the life of a star? Uh, no, not regarding the, the life of a star. If we have time, I can quickly go through the stellar classification mm. that, we, that we read. Sure, yeah. Uh, yeah, this, this is really good because... Um, uh, Dave Chapman uh, has been on the episode or on the show a number of times, and he has a kind of a shorter, like quarterly series that's aligned with the seasons about stars you should know. And he talks about the star classes. So, uh, you know, diving into this a little bit more, I think would be great. Yeah, I, I will. I will go through the stellar classification, um, and it, it. There have been many attempts on, on classifying. Uh, Stars and 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 one that we we still use is by Annie Jump Cannon, that classified an incredible amount of stars, um, and she used the uh, spectral characteristics. And when I talk about a spectrum of a star, I basically talk about the uh, the rainbow of a star. We just take the light and split it into all its color, 
and we look at these small dark bands that are in in the in the rainbow of of stars. These are like the fingerprints, and these fingerprints can actually be predicted or categorized uh, depending on the on the on the properties of the star. And I urge anyone to go and read the Wikipedia article on stellar classification for the for the history part. If you want to know more, why we have it on this strange uh, strange scale uh, that I go into in a, in a second, and the classification that we use now are basically according to the surface temperature, which is also the the color of a star roughly, and the size, which is the the radius of of a star. So the temperature follows. Uh, this one that you have probably heard many times, O-B-A-F-G-K-M, where O stars are the hottest stars and, and K stars and M stars are the, are the, um, the coolest stars. And, and then we, we can also put numbers so it can be a, a G5 or something like that. For example, the, the sun is a G2 star. So this is just to give a little more wiggle room for the for the temperature. And then the sizes follow the, the Roman uh, numbers. So we have a uh, Roman uh, one. These are for the super giant stars, all the way down to uh, Roman uh, five, which are dwarf stars. So right now, our sun is actually a G2 uh, dwarf star. So it's mm. G2V. And uh, all main sequence stars are, are dwarf stars. And later in the in the the evolution of the star of the sun, it will turn into a slightly hotter stars. It will also become slightly bigger. Uh, so it's going to change the spectral classification. So this is uh, just at the time kind of thing. But I hope that this clarified uh, a little bit what these strains. Uh, simple song. Yeah, it definitely helps. Um, you know, when I, when I see some of these references, there's often not uh, a legend or an explanation nearby. So <laughs> having this is certainly helpful to interpret that going forward. Exactly. Well, thanks so much, Daniel. I, this was really fascinating. Uh, there was a couple things that you said that I really enjoyed hearing. One was that stars forming clouds of hydrogen, like raindrops in a cumulus cloud here on Earth. I've never heard that comparison before, but I am going to steal it or use it with your permission <laughs> in the future. <laughs> I really like that a lot. Thank you for that. I, I think I also never heard it before, but you know, <laughs> uh, you're free to use it in any way you want. And I also liked how you referred to the stellar stellar classification system as as like a rainbow. I, I thought that was beautiful as well. <laughs> Do you have anything to add to this show, Shane? Uh, thanks, Daniel. This was great. Uh, I've learned a lot about uh, you know the life cycle of stars and and the classifications. So thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks again, Daniel. Thanks everybody for listening. If you have a show idea or want to send us your observations or questions please email us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, 
check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>